May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning, and may the words from my mouth be what each of us needs to hear. There are certain habits or beliefs in this life that separate people from one another and turn them against one another sometimes. When certain topics come up, people separate to one side or the other. It's never been more obvious than it is these days in our nation. But, you know, you have your coffee drinkers against, opposed to people who don't like coffee, in fact, hate the stuff. You have cat people and dog people. You have morning people, and you have later-in-the-day people. We could mention lots of little divisions like that, but there are also some very serious divisions that I could mention, but I'm not going to do that this morning. But there's one, ha- one more habit that divides people. It's the habit of reading a book all the way to the end versus those people who go to the end first, read the last chapter, see how the, or the last few pages, see how the story ends, and then go back and read the rest of the book. How many of you read a book from beginning to end? Okay. And how many of you sneak a peek at the end to see how it's going to end? And then go back. One person only. I'm surprised. There, there, are, there are usually more people than that in a, in a, in a group this size that do that. Uh, when I've asked that question in the past, anyway. Well, a couple of psychologists did a study. And they found that people who read the end of the story first actually enjoy the story more than those who read it just from the beginning to the end. So Julie's going, see, I told you. Read the end first. <laughs> but what, they're, what they say is that it, it gets easier if you know the end of the story. It's easier to process the information and you get a better understanding of the, the story. On the other hand, knowing the end of a story can be frustrating for some people. Don't want to know how it ends until the very end. That's why we have spoiler alerts. In 2019, there was a guy who was actually beaten up outside a movie theater because as people were, as, as he was coming out from watching the show, other people were standing in line, and he was very loudly talking about how the movie ended, and he ended up getting himself hurt. Not everybody likes a peek at the ending first. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. It's a day when God gives three of Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John, a sneak peek at the end of the story, a glimpse of who Jesus is and what his mission was. Six days before, it's always good to get Scripture in context because people have a tendency to just pull out verses they want and make them say what they want them to say. So to, to put this in context for us this morning, six days before this, Jesus confronted his disciples about their faith. And then he asked them two questions. He said, who do people say that... I am. And then he asked them, and more personally, who do you say that I am? 
The disciples answered the first question. They said, well, people say, some say that you're John the Baptist, some say that you're Elijah, some say that you're Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Come back. Somebody important, for sure. Somebody with a mission. Somebody sent from God, for sure. But on that second question, who do you say that I am? It got very quiet. Probably looking down at their cell phones if they had them in those days, pretending that they just got a text, didn't know what to say. Everybody except good old Simon Peter, the one who always spoke up. And he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus blesses him, and he changes his name. The name Simon means he has heard And the name Peter means the rock. In this moment, Simon Peter heard the truth, the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. So Jesus blessed him and changed his name to Peter, the rock. Because the truth of what he said, not that Peter became the rock of the church himself, but the truth that he spoke became the foundation, became the rock of what the worldwide church would be. The rock that we still build upon today. Sounds like a great story until we notice a little plot twist. Right after telling the disciples that he was the Messiah, he told them that he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to deal with the religious leaders who were always ridiculing him. He was going to be killed and that he was going to rise again in three days. Well, this caught the disciples off guard, obviously. Peter tried to argue with Jesus, and Jesus quickly shut him down. How could that be part of the plan? Wasn't the Messiah supposed to lead a revolution that would take Rome down and Israel would once again become a nation who was not being oppressed or who was not being controlled by Rome? Wasn't the Messiah going to save them from all of that? How did Jesus fit into that plan if he was going to die? It didn't make sense to them. They didn't understand. Then today's beginning, I'm sorry, then today's reading begins. So that's where we are in the story. And then... He took Peter, James, and John. He went up on a high mountain, just the four of them. And then you heard the story of how he was transfigured right there before them. Scripture says his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And then Moses and Elijah showed up, two prophets, or two, two servants of God who had died long ago, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, this is great. Want me to set up three booths? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still talking, a bright cloud came over them, it says. And they were terrified because a voice came out of that cloud. And it said, this is my beloved son, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And then these three words, listen. To him. When the disciples heard this, we're told that they fell on their 
faces to the ground. They were terrified. But Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Get up. When they looked up, Moses and the other prophet were gone. No one was there but Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, can you imagine this? All this happens. And you probably can't wait to tell the people what you just saw. And Jesus says, shh, don't tell anybody what you saw until after I've raised again from the dead. There it is. Peter, James, and John. Three very blessed, lucky guys. They got a peek at the end of the story. They got a spoiler. In this man, in this moment, on this mountain, God's plan for humanity, for all of us, is revealed in just a brief, short, short period of time. All of human history is pointing in a certain direction. And in the transfiguration, we see what that direction is. First of all, the disciples see Jesus for who he really is. They begin to understand that he isn't just a man who has been sent by God. He is God in human flesh. And he's been hiding his glory from their eyes until now. And today they saw it. John later wrote about this moment. In John chapter 1, he wrote these words. The word, that is Jesus, the word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Up until then, Peter, James, and John may have just thought that Jesus was a great holy man, a great teacher, a mystic, a prophet. In his transfiguration, God the Father showed them who Jesus was. He wasn't just a man sent from God. He was God, God in the flesh, come to earth to save his people. Well, I read recently about an interesting man in Mexico whose name was Father Sergio Benitez. He was known as a very caring priest. He had a little orphanage that he ran in Mexico. That's what he did by day, anyway. By night, he was somebody else altogether. Unknown to his people at his parish and in his orphanage, Father Benitez, at night, would put on a mask and a cape and change into a professional wrestler named Fry Tormenta, or Friar Storm. His life is the basis for the movie Nacho Libre. For almost 23 years, Father Benitez hid his identity. He wrestled to earn prize money to support and pay for his orphanage and keep it running. Eventually, another wrestler discovered his true identity and gave it away, told everyone. By then, though, he was ready to retire from the ring anyway. Many orphan, orphans who were under his care for those years became very successful. One of them became a criminal lawyer, by day anyway. But at night, he transforms himself into a masked wrestler, Fry Tormenta Jr., in honor of the priest who fought for him. But in this moment... Peter, James, and John got a peek at who Jesus is. Jesus is God. 
This is important. That means that anything that he said is absolute truth. That means that any plan Jesus made was unquestionable. It was set in stone. Anything that he said or did was holy and perfect and expressed the heart and the mind of God. His words were absolute truth. He was God in the flesh. Why is it important in this moment to know those things? Because Jesus had just warned his disciples that he was going to face a brutal, horrible death. He was going to be shamed in, public, in a very public way. And that as his followers, they were going to suffer too. So the disciples needed to see that this was all part of God's plan for bringing people back to him. In this moment, the disciples saw who Jesus really is. On that mountain also, they see the mission of Jesus fulfilled. Why did Moses and Elijah appear on the mountain that day? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us, but in Luke, he tells us the story. And he tells us that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah talked about Jesus' death. Now, why would Moses and Elijah be talking to Jesus about his death? Because his death and resurrection completed their ministries. It, complete, it completed the ministries of Moses and Elijah both that started more than 1,500 years before. Through Moses, God gave the law. We know the story. This law defined God's relationship with the people of Israel. But the law also reminds us that we fail to live up to it. We fail to live up to God's holiness. Elijah was the greatest prophet to the nation of Israel, but the prophets failed too. God himself came in the form of Jesus to take care of all of this, to fulfill the mission of the law and of the prophets, to call the people back to a right relationship with him. In 2008, two college women's softball teams, the Western Oregon Wolves and the Central Washington University Wildcats, played each other for the last game before the playoffs. A player by the name of Sarah Tuchelski played for Oregon. She was not one of the strongest players, but that day she hit a home run. As she ran around the baseline, she missed first base. So she turned around to go back to touch first base, and when she did, she tore an ACL, which is a very excruciating, very painful injury. And now she wouldn't be able to finish her home run because she couldn't run any further. It was the only home run that she had ever hit. If her teammates helped her, she'd be called out by the umpires. She was safe on first, but she couldn't even stand up, much less run bases. The fans began shouting for her to get off the field, but she wouldn't move. Then Mallory Holtman, who was the first baseman, first base woman for the other team, jogged out onto the field and lifted Sarah up from the dirt, looked at the umpire and said, can I help her around the bases? The umpire said, why would you want to do that? But no one really needed to know the answer. So Mallory helped her injured opponent. Sarah hobbled around. She helped her around the bases. 
as she touched each base. The crowd stood to its feet as Mallory helped Sarah make her first home run. No matter how much we try, we always fall short of the law and of the prophets. In fact, all they really served to do was to point out to us that we do fall short. The law can't save us. The prophets can't help us. So Jesus came to pick us up out of the dirt and to carry us to home plate. Notice in verses 5 through 8, Peter wants to build three, mountain, uh, three booths on that mountain. One for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So they can stay there for a while. But while he's making this suggestion, God interrupts him. Notice that. God interrupts him. When God interrupts him, it's time to shut up. He stops talking. Our reading says, while he was speaking, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son who I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. These are the exact words, the exact words, except the last two, that were spoken at Jesus' baptism. The big difference is, this time he ended with these words, listen to him. Don't listen to Moses, don't listen to Elijah, the other prophets, or any other mystic or holy man or holy person of any kind. Listen to Jesus. He is the voice of God. That's why we say, I am not the head of this church. The council is not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church and always will be. These are the exact words that God spoke. And then we read, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground. They were terrified. Jesus said, get up. When they got up, the others were gone. There was nobody there except Jesus. Did you hear what I said? When they looked up, there was nobody else there. They saw no one. No one except Jesus. Moses and Elijah's work was done. They were gone. They could go on home to be with God. The only one left on that mountain with them was Jesus. The only one to look to is Jesus. The only one to listen to is Jesus. His mission has been accomplished. Many of you are familiar with singer and songwriter Adele. Adele sings some Beautiful, beautiful songs. She's sold millions of songs worldwide. She's won just about every music award you can think of. She's an international star with a huge fan club and a lot of impersonators. Several years ago, Adele played a little prank on some of her fans. She put on a disguise and she went to an audition for Adele Impersonators, where she introduced herself as a nervous young singer named Jenny The other impersonators at the audition talked about how much they admired Adele and what a great talent she was. One of them joked that she was being really slow in releasing her latest album. And after all the other singers had performed, Jenny took the stage. She nervously cleared her throat. She began to sing. Even in disguise, the other contestants 
recognized her voice right away. No one else could imitate that amazing voice. It was the one and only Adele up on the stage, and they knew it. Some of them, those contestants, began to cry. They were overjoyed that they were in the presence of this superstar. And Adele took off her disguise and said, yeah, you're right. And she was cheered, and she received a great ovation and lots of hugs and cheers from her fans. In this man, Jesus, at this moment that we celebrate this Sunday, on this mountain, the disciples saw the one true God. No one could imitate his glory. No one else could speak God's perfect truth. No one else had the power to bring humanity back to God and in a right relationship with God. Knowing that truth, about Jesus means making a decision. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. This is a little glimpse of God's promises fulfilled. This is a little peek at God's ultimate yes. What about you and me? When we see the yes of God, can we respond with an amen? Can we say, yes, Jesus is God. I know he's God. I will follow him. I will give my life to him. If you haven't done that, I would urge you to do that today. Amen.